Hey everybody, this is Greg and you're listening to Tales from the Trip Podcast, the show that takes a deep dive into my world as I see it. Today we're talking about life, love, and the journeys with my grandpa, who will be giving us his perspective of the world over the last 90 years of his life. We'll discuss all sorts of topics about his origin story, growing up in World War II Germany, moving to the United States, establishing a family in California. Thanks for joining us today, Grandpa. I would like to ask what your earliest memory in your life was. Earliest memory? Earliest memory. The earliest memory of anything? Of anything. Well, there probably would be several things, but uh, uh, I remember being in the Hitler Youth, one thing. I was a Hitler Youth guy. <clears throat> not because I wanted to be, of because I had to be. Right. If, uh, you know, everybody had to be a Hitler so, supporter. So time frame, what... About what year was this? 1944? Oh, that's about, uh, that was about uh, 40s, 1940, 1939, somewhere around there. Yeah. I, I remember my dad listening to uh, broadcasts on radio, Hitler speaking, and I watched him listen to Hitler's speech, and he was. Like he was mesmerized, he was hypnotized by the Hitler spoke. Right. Yeah. History has shown that Hitler was quite the public speaker. Yeah. Yeah. He was a very powerful speaker, huh? and I could not understand as a kid why anybody would be so mesmerized or hypnotized by this guy. Even as a kid, I knew I had the feeling there was something wrong with this man. He was some kind of a nut, you know. Right. I thought he uh, he won the people over by various means, and uh, uh, he, um, the uh, best method was fear, make everybody afraid, you know. He imprisoned a lot of people, uh, gypsies, homosexuals, uh, Jews, so on and so forth. Uh, and uh, he even uh, he even killed had some of the people killed that uh, they were more or less in the organization with him because he didn't trust them. So uh, that's one thing I remember and. Um, uh, I remember um, my uh, father didn't like me very much. I was the oldest, but he uh, preferred my brother and my sister. And I wondered, I often wondered why. And I didn't find out till, um, oh, till I was in my, maybe in my 50, the reason uh, we didn't, I didn't like me because he uh, married my mother when she was eight months pregnant. And he didn't really want to marry her, but since she was pregnant with me, at that time, it was, it was, uh, well, it was considered 
to be dishonorable man if he didn't marry the woman, right? Right. So while I was growing up, uh, and then I was the oldest, and my and my brother come along, and he was uh, five years younger than I was, and my sister was 11 years young. And uh, I noticed when uh, we were playing out in the yard, my brother and I, and when he came home from work, uh, and came in the house, and we were playing outside. He would always pick my brother up and hug him and all that kind of stuff, and he would completely ignore me. I remember that, and that's why you know, I, like I said, I was wondering what the, what he had against me. But so, uh, I guess I was an inconvenience, you know, as far as he went. So. So, uh, he was um, a a member of the Nazi party, you know. He was a policeman. And um, when the war started against Poland, he arrested, they arrested the German government, arrested a lot of Polish men and put them in camps. And um, he was... um, there was uh, three men after the war. There was three men showed up at the door. I remember that and arrested him and took him away. And I didn't see him for several years. I found out later in life that um, he was uh, sent to prison. He was put in uh, charge of guarding some prisoners in a camp, and he slapped a prisoner. He got an argument prisoner, and he slapped him. And uh, later, when the war was over, he was accused by these uh, personal people of mistreating this prisoner, and he got arrested. He got a sentence, 10 years in prison. That's a lot. Yeah, that was quite a bit, I thought, for slapping the prisoner, you know. And, uh, uh, but he served... uh, 52 months because he was sick. He had stomach cancer, colon cancer. And um, he didn't live <clears throat> too long after that. He died when he was uh, six years old, colon cancer. But I got, remember when I left Germany in 1949, uh, shortly after that, I, I, got, uh, I got to go and leave. To go back to Germany, I got drafted in the army in 1953. The U.S. In, army. Yeah, U.S. Army. And um, I got word that he was pretty sick and he wasn't going to live very much longer. So someone over there in Germany arranged for me to get a leave from the army to go back to Germany. I think that was in '54, uh, and. Um, I uh, traveled by uh, plane, I think, to go to Germany, and then uh, partway I traveled by train, and uh, my mother and father was there to um, to greet me when I got the train, you know, pick me up and take me to where they lived. And I was in uniform, 
American, U.S. Army American soldier in the Army. And I didn't think of this until years later. And when I got off the train, we shook hands, my dad and I shook hands. But my mother and I, we gave each other a hug. And years later, I got to thinking, what a situation. A father who was a Nazi picking up her son, who's an American soldier. I mean, how strange, how strange can it get, right? Mm -hmm. I, never, I never thought of it that way for years later, but, uh, you know, I, uh, at, at the time. But anyway, um, uh, I don't really remember when he died. I think in 1960, yeah, 1960, I think he died. And uh, let's see, I didn't go, I didn't go to a funeral. I don't remember going. You know, I was back in the States by then, you know. But anyway, uh, in 1968, I took Grandma and um, Debbie and Jeff. We all went to Germany in 1968. And uh, my mother lived with my sister, apartment complex. So Jeff can tell you about that. Maybe he already has about going skiing over there. When he was over there with me, had a hill in the back of that apartment complex where we went skiing. And, uh, and it, yeah, like I said, it was in the time, and then uh, we had a sled that I pulled the kids in on the sled to go downtown and get groceries, you know, stuff like that. So that's about, that's about it for now. <laughs> yeah. I think I've done enough talking. Uh, no. No. <laughs> Um, and, so, you were drafted into the U.S. Army. Yeah, 1953. As a German U.S. citizen. Well, they made me a citizen, a U.S. citizen. Uh, I asked them, how can you draft me? I'm not, not a citizen. And they said, we'll make you a citizen. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, that's what and this was did. for which war at the time? Uh, uh, National Station Service in uh, Fort Bragg, North Carolina. There was about 300 young guys like me from all over the world. They weren't citizens. They were all sworn in to be a citizen all at the same time. About 300 of us in Fort Bragg, North Carolina. That so, was after basic training. I took basic training in Breckenridge, uh, Kentucky. And this was for which job field for the U.S. Army? Uh, I was assigned, uh, Fort Bragg, I was assigned to military intelligence. Interesting. Military intelligence. What we did was, um, there was a whole company of guys, uh, they were all from different countries. You know, and they all spoke their language. Like, like me, I spoke German. I could read German. They could. They were from Russia, from Czechoslovakia, or someplace, and they could read and write. You know, their language. And what we did was, um, we would read books in our language and magazines and newspapers that came from that country, searching for clues to see if we could find any suspicious activities concerning that country as far as, you know, 
or something to that, you know, something, right. something to that order. So I did that for about a year, and I got a little tired of it. I want to do something a little more exciting, you know. So they came out with a list of countries you could go to if you wanted to. I checked every name on on the list, every country. I put a check mark. <laughs> and it was the time during Korea, you know. But I, I checked Korea, but they didn't send me to Korea. They sent me to Germany, to an armored infantry company. Armored infantry. So Munich, Germany. I was stationed over there for a year. And um, I never get involved in war. Which was a good thing, you know. Lucky. Right. I was lucky. Like Ice Korea, you know, there was very cold there. A lot of people died, about 60,000, I think. American soldiers died in the war. The, towards the end of the war, well, it, actually, it was the end of the war. Still, when I was a kid, uh, I was about 13 years old, there was a. Um, a uh, young man that was going around rec recruiting young young children like me, young boys, to join what uh, what was called the Wolf Pack. It was it was uh, it was going to be uh, resistance resistance fighters resisting the American uh, invasion, and I was approached by this uh, guy to join. And I talked to my mother about it, and she said, you're not going to do that. You're going to stay home, right? Right with me. So that's what I did. Now, later on, I found out that um, he did find some boys that did join him, and he supplied them with uh, rifles and ammunition. And he put them, there was two of them, he put them in a little shack out in the country, and um, then he went. I didn't uh, find this out until years later. Then he went to the army headquarters in that town and told them that there was resistance fighters in the shack out there in the country. In other words, he turned in. The guys, he the kids that he recruited to the army, and they sent a squad out there. And when the kids saw him coming, they opened fire on him. And of course, the army returned that the squad returned fire and killed him, both of them. They were around 13, 14 years old. And um, then uh, they took these kids, and uh, I don't know whether that's one of them or two of them, they put them on a hood of a jeep and drove them around town, downtown, to show the public what would happen, you know, if you resisted, you know. I mean, uh, it wasn't the American soldiers' fault. They were, they were deceived by this guy, you know. And I didn't know, I didn't find out till fifty years later in a in a newspaper article. That's what he did. He turned us in, you know, to the American. First he sent them to the, turned the kids in. Mina. Uh, first he set them up, then he sold them out. 
50 years later, there was an article of him doing that. So that's another thing that I was lucky about. I didn't get involved in that, you know. I'm just trying to see if I could find something like that on the fly, but I don't have that. So tell me where you grew up in Germany and what it was like before World War II. Because you were born... 32. In 32? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so by... 42. You're 10 years old in the Hitler Youth? Uh-huh. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, in 32 in Germany, where were you at? A town called uh, Schwabisch Mund. Where's that at? Uh, southern, southern Germany. It's about 40 miles east of Stuttgart. Okay. Yeah. And... From my memory, it was just kind of rolling hills in that area. Yeah, right? it's kind of hilly. Built kind of down in the valley. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's a kind of pretty nice country, you know. Yeah. Yeah, so how did the recruitment into the Hitler Youth start? Well, I. Did they just come drag you out by your hair or oh, what? Oh, well, it's just. Um, it was it was an order, you know, given to everybody to, um, you know, you have to join the Hitler Youth, and uh, it was, uh, you know, it was it was mandatory, you know. Right. If you didn't go, they punished the family some way. I don't remember how they did it or what they did. But I managed to stay out quite a bit um, uh, because. Um, my mother and I conspired to um, make a sickly child out of me. I was always sick, according to her. You know. Right. <laughs> it worked. Uh, yeah, it worked. <laughs> they they used to come to the door, but after a few and come and get me because I didn't show up for a meeting, you know. But after a few times of me being sick, you know. They finally gave up and left me alone, you know. So I lucked out on that. And it was going towards the end of the war, you know, as they had other things to do, you know, other right. things. So uh, that finally faded out uh, all by itself without, uh, without any uh, retribution against my mother or me or family. Right. Yeah, that I know of. I, I can't remember it. That's about it on that one. So when you came to the States, you were under 20 years old? 17. 17? Mm -hmm. And what kind of trip was that? I came over on a plane. So still yeah. aeroplane in, what, that'd be 19... 1949. 49. Yeah. What I, kind of airplane do you remember? Uh, not really. Uh, I know I flew into. I want to say. I want to say New York, but I'm. I'm not sure uh, anymore. I and then I switched to another plane uh, into Chicago. You know, and that's where the um, my aunt and uncle picked me up. So your aunt and uncle lived where in Illinois? Uh, Mendota, Illinois. Yeah, I had. Um, Two aunts, my two of my mother's sisters, 
lived at Mendota, Illinois, and uh, I lived with uh, my aunt Anna and Uncle Eddie uh, after I came over for a while, you know, till I got on my feet, got a job, and... Uh, so what was your first job besides getting drafted almost four years later? Well, before before I got drafted, I worked in a um, farm equipment manufacturing company in Mendota. I remember I made 90 cents an hour. <laughs> 90 cents an hour. I'll have to get the, the calculations of what that would be today. And uh, I also worked... Uh, for a while uh, at Del Monte, you know, they uh, canned corn and peas and stuff like that. Anyway, that was another factory I worked in, and I didn't like factory work, so I, I found a job on a railroad, on a section. I worked on a section for three years. I think it was a Milwaukee Road, and that was uh, pretty hard work, but I, but I liked it, you know. Out in the open and uh, away from town. Your first job was ten dollars and forty-one cents an hour in today's money. Is that right? Yep. <laughs> Which is, uh, I think, California minimum wage right now is in the twenties. Yeah. Yeah. So half. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know I was always broke because you know. Even at, at that age, I, I was drinking beer, you know. I was going to bars and drinking beer, and I was only 17 years old, but nobody ever asked any questions. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. So I lived from day to day, you know. But um, Did they pay you out in cash at the end of the day, or did they give you, like, weekly? Uh, it was a check. Uh, the railroad was a check every, every two weeks. It was 50 bucks a week, I remember, 50 bucks a week. And like I say, I was always broke because I've been, I was drinking <laughs> beer after work. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So working all this time, when did you meet Grandma? Uh, well, let's see. I, it was before I was in the Army, so I went in 1953. So it must have been, well... I, I think I met her, she was, she was seven, 14 years old when I met her. Hmm. Well, shortly a year or two after I come over, I can't remember when exactly when I met her, you know. But um, let's see, we got a picture that uh, Jeff made for us when we were, she was 17, I was uh, 22, I think. On, on the picture. So, anyway. How did you meet? Hmm? How did you meet? Um, I went to a county fair on in Mendota, Illinois. You know, where they had all kinds of rides. Carnival. Yeah. It was a carnival. They had uh, several rides. And uh, I, think, uh, I think it was a Ferris wheel. They had a Ferris wheel. And um, I'm by myself, you know, it's just a kid looking around, see what's going on. I seen this girl with another girl, there was two of them. Uh, and I thought it was the most beautiful girl as I ever, ever seen. <laughs> so I walked over to her, I asked her, my, I told her, I said, my name is um, 
Freddy, would you like to go for a ride? And she told me her name. And to my surprise, she said yes. So we went for a ride on a Ferris wheel, you know. And uh, we talked, and she told me who she was and where she lived, and you know, blah, 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 and how old she was. And, and um, so we started going together. You know, we started going to movies. We spent a lot of time going to movies. That's about all there was to do. Right. You know, and we had to we had to walk. Didn't have a car. You know, walk to movies. I spent a lot of time with her and her mother and her dad at her house. You know, and her mother used to fix me uh, lunch when I was working on a railroad. Her mother fixed me a lunch. I paid her for it. You know? So it was like my second family. You know, more than. That. My second mom and dad, basically, right. you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's about it. Then we decided to get married after I got out of the army. I think we got married in uh, 19, 1955. I'm, I'm, not sure. I'm not sure. So it was only a few years that you were yeah, in After the... I got out of the army, yeah. It was a short time after I got out of the army. And when did you move to Pontiac? Well, uh, first I went to barber school. While uh, I went to barber school in Peoria, Illinois, under the GI Bill, and uh, I lived in Peoria while I was while I was going to school. But I would go home on weekends. You know, I would go to Minota on weekends. So. You know, I kind I kind of don't know. Everything was kind of close together at a time like '55. Uh, I don't know. You know, I can't remember exactly, but um, we got. I think we got married after I went to barber school, somewhere around '57, I think. Then I got married because uh, I didn't want to get married, and she didn't either. Before I had a good job, you know. And um, the railroad, you know, didn't pay all that much. And um, she had an uncle that was a barber in Rockford, Illinois. And I talked to him about uh, the barber business. And, um, and I thought I would kind of like that, so I went to barber school in Peoria. That was a nine-month school. And then I cut hair in Medota for a while, and uh, not too long. I was over the job in uh, Pontiac. I think I could have stayed in Medota because, I should have stayed in Medota because um, those two guys I worked for were, were getting pretty old, you know. I could, I could have stayed there, one of them died before long, you know. I could have took over his job. It was a hotel barber shop. But anyway, I got a job offered in Pontiac. A guy, a kid uh, said uh, he was over the job, but he didn't want it uh, because he was some, some other circle. So, so I said, okay. So I went and talked to the guy, and he was the only guy working. He was the only guy working, and he wanted a helper. So I went to work for him. He 
it turned out it turned out he was uh, he also was German, but uh, it turned out he was, uh, in my opinion, he was an asshole because uh, I'd be in the shop and nobody would get my share. Everybody wait for him, and this went on for several months, you know, and I hardly got any business. So I uh, was sitting in a bar. Uh, one day after work, not far from the shop, and one of his uh, customers came in and sat out right next to me in the bar. And I asked him, can you tell me what's going on? I said, uh, I'm supposed to work for him, and he don't, he's getting out of business. He said, you don't know? I said, no, I don't know. Said, he's telling everybody not to get in your chair because you just got out of barber school, and you're not—you don't know how to cut hair very well. So this customer here told me that. So I con confronted him the next day with what the customer told me. I told him to go fuck himself, and I'm quitting, and I'm going somewhere else. And I—I I was really pissed off. I called him every name that I could think of. I wasn't scared of the guy, you know, and I was pissed off. I called him. You know, right. how in the hell can you do that? I said, I got a wife and a kid. You son of a bitch, I gotta make a living, you know. And you're telling people I'm no good. What the fuck's the matter with you? You know, I right. really told him off. <laughs> yeah. I said, I'm out of here. Fuck you. Go to hell. <laughs> and, uh, and I went home and I was li we, uh, we were living in an apartment. Forty bucks a month, pardon. I went home and told um, God, wife and the baby. <laughs> well, what happened was the next day he called me on the phone. It was a Saturday. I was at home in the apartment. He apologized. He told me to come back and he would help me, you know, as customer. So I went back there to help him out. And everything started going better from then on. Get a few people in my share. They were happy with my work. They kept coming back. It kept coming back. So everything was okay. And uh, and uh, then I don't know how long it was that I worked for him. Uh, he got a divorce from his wife. His wife caught him doing some other woman. He divorced him, and this woman was from Florida, so he's gonna marry her. Moved to Florida, and so he sold me the shop. He wanted um, he wanted two thousand dollars shop, and I said I'll give you a thousand. Thousand was plenty of money. <laughs> Didn't have much, you know. Bare basics and a chair and mirror and back bar and a sink, and it wasn't a modern up to date shop. It was dump. So he agreed to that, so uh, I, uh, I didn't have the $1,000, so I went to the bank, Pontiac, told her to tell her, walked up to tell her, on a loan, 1000 The woman said, uh, do you have an account with us? I said, no. Well, about to, if you your don't loan? have an account with us, <laughs> we can't make you a loan. I said, I'll tell you what you do. You put $1,000 in an account for me, and then you can loan me a thousand dollars. 
Yeah. Uh, why not? That's how you know, I can't do that. Why not? I said, why not? You know, I was picking I I was choking, of course. You know, <laughs> but I I picking maybe she'd take me serious. You, yeah, know? you never know. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I, I so they wouldn't they wouldn't know me at all. So I went to uh, my uncle Eddie Soda. And I said, Eddie, I got, a, I got a chance to buy this barbershop, be my own boss. I can make good money there, but I need a thousand bucks. He pulled out a checkbook, nothing. Paid him back. You know, I have no interest loan. Paid him back a little bit at a time. Everything was cool. I was doing good. I have a Pontiac in the shop. I was doing good. I could, I could afford a house. I could car. I bought a nice car, a 57 Chevy. Bel Air. I remember seeing a picture yeah, of this yeah, car growing yeah. up. <laughs> I think you still have it up on the wall somewhere. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Jeff's got a picture of it. He himself. I wish I still had it. Selling for 30 grand, though, you know. It wasn't uh, the best color. It was black. Can't remember what it looked like. Anyway. Uh, so everything was okay until, um, I don't know what year it was. Uh, but everything went downhill. Uh, our business went downhill. For some reason, they all wanted to go to, they, they started to go to stylists. They wanted style, not haircuts. I don't know what the hell happened. Uh, it had something to do with it. They used to bring pictures in to me and show me pictures of movie stars and their hairstyle. They, they wanted their hairstyle like that. Yeah, that's and how the, I said, well, the Hollywood culture started. That's what happened. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody saw that, him on the silver screen and wanted to look just yeah, like that one. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, not everybody's got that kind of hair to do that kind of style. Right. <laughs> or the money to yeah. take it out. And, I, you know, I was only getting the most I ever got a haircut. It's the most I ever got. I started out with a bucket and a quarter. Working in Medora was a buck and a quarter. I mean, the, the, the business went down quite a bit. Uh, I would I would have to say that the the haircutting industry has not suffered from inflation. I paid my barber about twenty dollars for my haircut. Yeah, nowadays they're getting twenty twenty five bucks. Yeah, but that. you're saying dollar dollar twenty five back then. If I was just doing off the ninety cents, that's yeah. yeah. That was ten fifty an hour. Dollar twenty five was probably around fifteen twenty bucks. It's, yeah, it's almost uh, like I said. I, don't I mean, like, been... like I say, I, the most I ever got is five bucks. So twenty bucks is four times as much. But uh, yeah, but I'm saying you translate five dollars at the time today's money. It's probably pretty close, and that and that industry hasn't suffered from. Like the automotive industry oh, yeah. right now, like yeah. 37% increase in cost of vehicles from last year. You know, that, yeah. that's kind yeah. of crazy to think about that. That's crazy, yeah. Right. For a vehicle. Well, I think I'm lucky I bought the car when I did. I don't know whether that was paid too much or not. But, you know, Jeff kicked in and I kicked, and I kicked in and I kicked in, so... Everybody give it a little bit. Oh, you're talking about the car now? Yeah. No, that's a good buy. Yeah, sixteen fifty. Yeah, yeah. Sold for almost thirty grand and brand new, you know. Yeah. 
Uh, they even the uh, I'm not sure what caused uh, the recent used car craze, but I think that's kind of dying off now too. Same thing with the housing. It's just like everybody just went kind of wild with yeah. how they value lately. Yeah. I don't know if it's they're finally getting out from their house from pandemic stuff. Yeah. They just forgot how to be normal people. You know? So, so Pontiac, you lived in Pontiac for how long? Well, we left, we left there. We moved to San Diego, uh, San Diego in uh, 79. So I lived in Pontiac, what? Years or so? Well, see. 20? Oh, yeah, I was around, somewhere around. Yeah, mid-50s or so? Yeah. Long time. What made you decide to move? Uh, the decision to move was made doctor. Uh, she, Grandma, she had several heart attacks, and uh, I took her to Indiana to get treated. As the doctor said, we should get a boat. She had an aunt in San Diego, Norma. Did you ever meet her, Norma? I might have. I she was had, really she young. had. She had a cousin, aunt, well, a whole family, you know. So we moved to San Diego, and she got a job at the children's hospital. And um, while she was working at the children's hospital, she had a heart attack, you know. And we went to the doctor. She had a serious heart attack. Went to the doctor and uh, they gave her a test. She was 45, I think 45 years. They found uh, two arteries 85% clogged, one artery 95. And the doctor came out from the test, talked to me, and said, if she don't get a triple bypass, she's not going to live. She's not going to live more than six months. She'll be dead. She said, well, what are we going to do? We're going to give her a triple bypass. What do you think? She think. I think. What a doctor. So everybody agreed that's what should be done. So he got a triple bypass. She was okay. Then she got a pacemaker several years ago. But she's had all kinds of things all with her. So many times, so many doctors. I mean, it, here she is, 86. Yeah. And she's still going to... He's probably got about seven different doctors she goes to. Spend all my time, half my time, going to a doctor's appointment. I told somebody if it wasn't for a doctor's appointment and grocery shopping, we would never go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> mm. 